Welcome to the Govern This Podcast. This is a political podcast for non-political people where we ask the simple and ignorant questions about our country and government and get them answered. anything yet. Welcome to part two of episode 23, Economics, the most complex man-made system. If you're just joining into this conversation now, I encourage you to go check out part one. We cover a lot of ground there and we keep it going here uh, with things like the housing market, property taxes and inflation, small and medium-sized businesses and banks, productive debt, commercial banks, Clueless politicians, uh, gas prices, and the danger of government price caps, and a whole lot more. As I said before, everything is connected here, everything is important, and everything seems just a bit whack. So buckle up and enjoy part two of our conversation. Okay, so going back again to how does this affect how does it, uh, knowing this to me just goes, oh, fuck, give me a beer because we're screwed. What can we do? But what, how, what can we do? To, like, how can we be involved? Because I think a lot of people think it's just the government. Government has to lower this price. They have to put a, and that's the thing that scares me too, is like, like housing prices, like rentals, or like you can't buy a house in this province anymore. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think, and then it, gas going looks- up. Yeah, I saw a chart the other day that they looked at the uh, the house price increases in different countries. The country that has since, I think, since they started measuring, I think in 2011, which was after the housing pr- prices basically bottomed after the, the global financial crisis. Uh, the country that is leading with housing prices increases is China. It's gone up 440% since 2011. Uh, The next two countries, uh, Canada and Australia, housing prices have gone up uh, over 200% in each. Do you think that's something to do with the country? Like like in China, like type of government they have? So, in China specifically, they have aggressively been issuing credit. This has been credit-driven and population-driven. So, demographics, where demographics has met credit. So, more and more people in China, it's not that their their population is expanding, but more of their population is coming out of poverty and into middle class. So, more and more people are taking on the type of debt to, uh, to purchase housing. Now, the aggressive expansion of credit makes the system unstable. And that's currently what is happening in China right now. What is happening in China right now is actually quite frightening. A lot of their developers ha- are having financial troubles. Some of them are failing. Some of them can't pay their debts. Um, you're actually getting situations in China where it's a common practice in China for people to purchase unfinished homes. So... What a developer! You can you you've actually you actually see that in Canada. So you, I've seen it in Vancouver, huh. where a developer will have a development coming and it's not even finished, but they'll start selling the units, 
ahead of time. Uh, my like, friend bought a unit this way. It was still under construction, but they will sell the houses before they're being finished. And once- but they, but they finished them. Yeah, they finished them. Okay, yeah. But yeah. what's happened in China is this actually was it was essentially triggered by the Chinese government, where they saw the situation getting out of control, and then they brought in limits on how much leverage, which is uh, leverage is how much money a, a company can borrow. They put limits on the the leverage that developers could do, and it basically caused the most leverage companies to start collapsing because oh. they kind of become the system where they were relying relying on more and more leverage in order mm-hmm. to keep their bos- business model running. Mm-hmm. But once they couldn't get any more leverage, then all of the costs caught up and they started failing. And so, we're at a system, we're at a point now where there's actually- on mass, there's millions of people in China refusing to pay the mortgages they've taken out on unfinished homes because they're worried that the f- homes will not be finished by these failing developers. Oh, shit. Yeah, we're, they're, they're starting to see an implosion of the housing market in China. How much it gets out of control is yet to be seen, but we're already seeing that um, housing prices. And so, for example- Developers who are having trouble meeting their debt obligations start having to sell all their assets as quickly as they can. And so, they're putting all these properties on the market at the same time that people aren't trusting the system and so, people don't want to take out. So, they have to drop the prices of these houses or units, apartments lower and lower and lower, which means that- if you're dropping the prices of those units lower, then every all the other houses around it, it will drop the value on those too. So, it causes so it, yeah. all the housing. And so, that's essentially what happened in the subprime uh, uh, crisis in the US, which caused uh, a series of chain reactions into the financial system. But we are seeing the, yeah, the, the housing market in China becoming unstable and it's quite- I'm concerned that it will spread to the rest of the global economy. But then you're like, oh, wait, if prices go down, that's good. Yeah, but, but- if, if prices go down, uh, you know, that means there's going to be associated with prices going down is a recession. People lose their jobs. If people lose their jobs, they can't pay the debts they have. We're talking bankruptcies. We're talking lower ability for people to buy goods and services, which means the people offering those goods and services don't have as much income, which puts them under financial stress. So, having prices come down, it it has a whole lot of other things going on at the same time, which causes a not good situation for society. And so, uh. this is why... Um, Central banks and governments, they try to target 2% inflation because they want a slight bit of inflation because a slight it bit pushes. of- it, Yeah, they want a bit of a cushion because as soon as things go into deflation, then the incentive is that people hold on to their money mm-hmm. because, first of all, I could lose my job, so I yeah. need to hold all the money I can. Second of all, like you, like prices have come down. The longer I hold my money, the cheaper I can buy this for. So, basically, everyone starts hoarding their money, which stops 
the, the cycle the cycle of economy which slows the economy it becomes a self-feedback loop on the way down and causes everything to sort of cascade down with it wow no one's just so complex and yeah uh, <laughs> it's it sounds like whichever it's massive balance and whichever if you tweak it too much in any direction you're screwed yeah but- and and this is going back to what you're saying about how the what we we're saying about the central banks and the government they think they have they're the ones that control the dial okay but they've missed the point that it's the commercial banks that control the money supply so it's actually the commercial banks that have the dial what what do you mean by commercial bank as opposed to what think think of banks like yeah. td whoever you get a loan or credit from essentially right. that's a commercial bank yeah so what's the not a commercial bank like the government. The, yeah, the central bank. Central bank. Yeah. So they think that they control. So they think they're the Game of Thrones bank. But well, it's hard to know. Really, the central bank. It's, it's the, hard to know exactly what they believe, but from their <laughs> actions, from their actions, like, like, you know, one part of it is they know that part of what they do is psychological only. Mm-hmm. So, by signaling to people, we've got this under control, it's all right. It would mean that people are less likely to hoard their money because they're panicking. Right, yeah. So, there's part of the, the positive feedback loop. Positive feedback loop is when things cause other things to happen that keeps it going in the same direction right. rather than a negative feedback loop where if it goes too far, it'll come back. Part of the positive feedback loop is, is the psychology of people, I'm holding my money. So, if people are calm and relaxed, then they're less likely to hold their money mm-hmm. and less likely to cause more of the positive feedback loop causing the downward spiral. So, so their control of it is controlling our mood. In a big part. Now, Not they so much know, the economy. From, from, what I under, from what it seems, they know that, but I don't know to what extent they think that's the main tool they have or if the other things they do works how much faith they have on the rest of it as well. Right, right, sure. right. Yeah. I'm- okay. So, one thing I was saying was, or thinking, um, before we got into the housing thing, yeah. is the way it seems like people want with inflation is they're like, housing prices are going, I can't, like renting is so expensive now. And so... It, yeah, anyway, <laughs> renting is so expensive now. It's crazy. We looked at a place the other day and it was, the guy was like, oh, I can't remember how many people looked at it. And he had people being like, I'll give you extra if you give it to me right now. And he's like, I'm yeah. not playing that game. Like, yeah. this is how much it is. Yeah. I'm waiting for the right person. Like, it's, um, anyway, so those prices are going, gas is going crazy, food's going crazy. And it's like, they want people are kind of screaming like the government's got to stop this. They got to put caps on everything. They got to stop the companies from doing this. They got to put housing like limits for what people can charge because normal people can't pay for things. Yeah. And, but this is my fear is my conspiracy mind is going, they've created this (laughs) situation so that everyone runs to them and says save me and then they go okay and they start slapping all this stuff on yeah 
which turns into them just controlling everything. Yeah. And then that's not our culture. And it's going to be counterproductive too. Um, as, as you're starting to get an appreciation for, and this is why I said, in my opinion, the economy is the most complex system created by humans. Is I'm starting to, yeah. People understand. don't understand the complexities of the economy. Mm-hmm. So, because they don't understand, they think it's simple. And so, they think a simple system has simple solutions. Right. So, yeah. bringing in these measures will create these chain, this chain of effects that may well causing opposite effects. Okay. So, let's go with that for a sec. So, like... I would love to be able to rent a house yeah. with my girlfriend that, you know, it's that's not $3,000 yeah. <laughs> and have some space to be able to do things. I would love to be able to uh, gas not to be so much and to be able to go out for dinner and it not cost $80 for two people yeah. or something, right? So, it would be, it'd make me feel good if like, even though I worry about them having too much control, if they did put things and it did lower that stuff, I'd be like, oh, wow, okay. So, why is that bad? What could happen if they did do that? For example, okay, so supply. let's just take renting is uh, bring some more complexities in, but let's just talk about we're trying to it's buy. Like every time I ask something, it's well, I- <laughs> Yeah, we're trying to buy a house. Let's just say we're trying to buy a house. Okay. If you put caps on housing, then it creates this chain effect where part of the reason housing costs so much is because, let's say it's a new house, mm-hmm. the construction company has had to build that house, but they've had to build that house with fuel, materials, and everything that have gone up in price. So, the government's saying, you can only sell it for this much, but- they can't sell it for that much uh. and make a profit. So, what's going to happen is it's going to cause construction companies to stop making houses, which means the supply isn't growing, which means there's no new houses for people to buy. So, the same amount of people are competing for the same amount of houses, which causes the price to go up eventually. Okay. Okay. Hold on that one. So, isn't one of the things, and I think you told me about this, is- Civic, like a lot of the housing problem we're having is because of regulations put on the builders. Yeah. So, they're like, well, screw it. I'm not building those things. I'll build these other things. Yeah. So, they can't afford to do smaller houses. So, ah. to, to, to get the profits, to make it profitable, they have to make bigger and bigger houses because the regulations and the building permits and everything means that they have these upfront costs that they need to pay. So, the the economics for creating a small house means that relatively those up costs, the upfront costs are bigger comparatively to the cost of the house. So, for them to make a profit, they need to make a bigger house and sell it for more money because a Mm. bigger house at more money, say if the, the the, the regulatory, the cost associated with regulations, say on a small house, it it equates to 20% of the house's value, which would make it unprofitable for them. Mm. So, they need to make a bigger house. If it's sold at a higher price, then those costs will only represent 10% 
of the price of the house, which means that they can they can complete that and, and make a profit. Otherwise, it's not worth them building the house. So in this situation, it is the government or local governments or whatever causing the problem, and then everyone's yes. like, well, you have to help us. These builders are only building, but it, it's not actually the builders that are the bad people. It's the government's yeah, got to just- And then part of, it, part of the, the equation is property taxes. Property taxes are levied by local governments. The more programs, you know, social benefit programs, governments, local governments put in, the higher they have to raise um, property taxes. Wait, what? Yeah, so uh, <laughs> a, the large majority of funding of local governments is from property taxes. Okay. Oh, no way. Yes. Oh, my God. Okay, so the... Oh, Okay, so, so this which, is the complex thing again. Yeah, yeah. So what I just think I understood before you <laughs> is the more things that the government says will do this for you, which seems to be what everyone's screwing about now because they don't want autonomy. They want to be taken care of. The more things that the government says they'll do for you, the more taxes the government has to bring in. And one of the big things you said is property tax. So, the money that they use for that, it can come from two sources, either taxes or debt. So, deficit spending. Okay. So, that's where it ties into you have to have a bond to sell to someone who right. has money. So, it will bring money in temporarily, but they have to issue a bond which they need to pay interest on. Mm-hmm. So, if you borrow, borrow more money, then- the more and more debt you builds up, the higher and higher interest you have to pay. So there's a there's the more a, and more money you need to pay that interest. Exactly. Yeah. And so um, government uh, funding comes from the two sources: tax revenue and debt. But the more debt you pile on, the more interest you have to pay. And so then more of your money is going to pay interest. So it becomes it's called the law of diminishing returns. I've heard that. Yeah, we're at a certain point that the interest they have to pay is so great that it's consuming all the money that they would be using. So, in order to counteract the the effects of you know everything that's going on, they need to take more debt, but then more interest, which then eats into the money that they have. And so, that's why cre- credit and debt is, as we said before, it's really good for facilitating economic activity. Right. But if it gets to a certain point, it starts to destroy economic activity because they need to take the money that could be going around the system creating prosperity and wealth is actually having to go and pay the debt. So, so that's, then- you get the law of diminishing returns where you get to a point where um, Dr. Lacey Hunt is a, uh, an economist who actually seems to me to know what he's talking about. Uh, he, he's, I can't remember what percent, but there's a certain percent of they found of government debt where debt to GDP, where it gets over that level, then they get basically starting to get a, a negative loop where any more debt than that, then it will cause a short burst of economic activity. But after that short burst, you'll see situation get worse because the amount of money that's being pulled out due to interest. And this is what we saw since COVID. We saw okay, yeah. a short burst 
Yeah. Because they just took on a whole lot of debt. They temporarily put a whole bunch of money into the system, which wasn't brand new money that was created. It was just money that had been taken from pools of money that were kind of sitting there idle. So, they kind of recirculated, redistributed existing money into a system, caused a short burst of economic activity. Okay. But because of the extra debt that was and the interest on it, it starts to whittle away at that activity and drive it in the opposite direction mm-hmm. and drive it down. So, that's why the big talk right now is that we're looking at we're going into recession. Whereas, had I said this a year ago, people are like, no, the economy is booming. We've entered a new era of of economic activity. With- I don't see how that, because no one was, half people weren't working and they were stuck at home. But <laughs> well, because the amount, of, the amount of stimulus they put into the economy, yeah. they're like, we've, we've triggered a virtuous circle where this will prime the pump and it will cause feedback loops that will cause, you know, great... Ac- but, you know, th- we're, we're so saturated with debt that all the, the interest is causing it to slowly eat away at economic activity. Okay, so... Huh, okay. So... Sorry, and, we, and, got, and, off, we but, got off housing. <laughs> no, no, no. But it's, it, it, that's good, though, because the housing thing was, like, just a part of what I was wondering. Like, it was... So, w- with the government, it's... Okay, they're not, they're politicians still. They're political parties. They want to be in power. They want to be, that's their goal. It's not to, sadly, it's not to necessarily make things better. (laughs) They just want to be in power. Yeah, there's certain incentive structures that they adhere to. Right. So, in the sense, they, do they actually care about fixing the economy? I don't think they or, know enough to be able to fix it. Because they're so politicians, they're not a, they're not economists and and even and even as I said before, like the the models that uh, you know, some some of the advice I've heard repeated from these independent financial commentators, uh, some of the things they say is people say, you know, what how should I get into this? And they pretty much say, don't take an economics degree because what they're teaching in school is the textbook version, which doesn't match reality. It's outdated. So, mm. you know, even if they have these economists who are giving them information, it, it doesn't adequately describe what's actually happening in the system. So, all the a lot of these people, they're, they're, they're self-educated. They've worked in the finance sector. So, they see how things operate on the inside and, you know, uh, it, people such as commodity traders, so they see how the markets work and all yeah. these things that they kind of, they see how things really work rather than according to the theoretical models in a te- textbook, which don't seem to adequately explain what's going on. So, going back to the politicians, they may have taking their politicians, uh, many of them aren't even trained in economics. A lot of them are, are lawyers. Justin Trudeau is a drama teacher. For, for- <laughs> You can swear. For Christ's sake. <laughs> and yeah, so well, they, we all they, know they he's wouldn't, just they wouldn't even know what they don't know. Okay. Mm-hmm. They're just following the incentive st- structures that are set up by the political game. And so, 
So they're just looking around. What do people want? People want this. I'll give that to you. Yeah, what if do you I do put to me get in place, I'll in. figure it yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you know, part of it is the election cycle. Part of it is the social media driven environment that we're in, pandering to voters, you know, um, you know, and the talk about demagoguery, telling people what they want to hear in order to gain. That's what demagoguery means? Yeah, essentially. Yeah. It's like okay. instead of having substance and being a leader mm. and saying this is what we should do and I know you're going to be upset by this, but it's going to benefit in the future. They just say, oh, this is what you want here. This is what I'm going to give you. But, you know, not even give them the result that they're looking for. Just tell them what they want to hear kind of thing. Yeah, because so just what you said a few minutes ago about the housing property tax and that goes up so then people can't afford or... or Okay, so the property tax increases the house sale price or does that have to uh, be uh, for the developers? So, property tax, it, this... Yeah, it, it, it's a factor that goes into can I afford a house or not because okay. it's not just the cost of the house. Mm-hmm. It's part of it is how much interest do I need to pay on the mortgage mm-hmm. and the lifelong cost of that house. So, each year you have to give money to your local government in the form of pop, you know, uh, property taxes. This it's is kind of whack because is, it's like I bought that. I'm buying the house. Like it's... Uh, yeah, you're, you're hearing more and more of this is people who bought the houses way back in the day it was maybe you know like affordable housing then in a rundown suburb but gentrification and rising housing prices and gentrification is uh, when you take like a rundown suburb or area and redevelop it to make oh, okay. it brand new again okay. so it pushes up the property prices around it right um so people may have bought like in the 60s in all the 70s, 70s or 80s or something when houses were really cheap they might be retired now they may not have an income but the value of the house has gone up and so and because property taxes are on a percentage of the value of the house suddenly they oh. may have budgeted for paying a certain amount of property taxes oh. for a while but now they can't afford the property taxes so whack yeah, so what it's they like, call is you, that they're called house rich but cash poor. And oh so, God. often it's, it's not uncommon, you know, you hear of people being forced to sell the home that they've owned for X number of years because they can't afford to pay the property taxes anymore. It's kind of like having a car and you can't afford the gas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We can't afford the insurance or, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So that, okay, that's a so, whole other thing that's whack. But, but so, just hearing that, that, that. The so, politicians- and so, property taxes go into the rent because if you're renting, oh. you're essentially for the landlord to make a profit on that property. So, they have to pay the property tax as well as the mortgage. So, that's what rent is. Rent covers the, the property tax and the mortgage. And so, property taxes actually are, are a large driving factor of rent prices. I never thought that. So, that's why something can be could have been $1,000 and now it's 1500 but the thing never changed, but it's... Yeah, part of it is, is markets, um, you know, yeah. landlords can afford to, you know, because the market... Well, yeah, is, now they can... Yeah, yeah just... and so, you know, so they can... But what happens is if you drive up rents, you know, it, it the incentive structure is that the individual owning the house will push up the rent because that's what the market is going for so they can make more money on that happy days for them Mm -hmm. but if you get that at a systemic level and all people are putting the rents up what happens is as i said it's the same as with 
the CPI increases is that now more of people's money is going to the essentials and so they stop spending on customer discretion. So the higher rent goes is the less money they can spend on anything, getting haircuts, going to the movies, eating out. And so it, it, it essentially erodes economic activity everywhere else in right. and causes will feed back into, you know, part of it is why that, you know, we, we're looking at a recession coming. Part of that is driven by rent and how rent, you know, shelter costs yeah. as well yeah. as gas. And so all the things that we need to function are going up. So we have to make the sacrifices and on the on all the the luxuries of life, which causes a collapse in economic activity. People, Does, yeah, it, it, yeah. It's it's so it's so it it's it is. You're right. I'm starting to appreciate the complexity. Yeah. <laughs> But it's like there's no way out. It seems like it seems like you're stuck in a web. Like it's it's you can't get out. But like even what you said with with the property tax, and then if they give more social programs and programming to things, then that means they need more money. Yeah. And if you can't, and if the debt, the interest, is too high, like it just seems like if you understand that little loop, yeah, then. If you heard a politician saying, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this, you should just be, where are you getting the money? Yeah. And so, and if you're saying that and saying, I won't raise taxes, then that's just a lie. <laughs> well, yeah, they, they, yeah, it either has to be high taxes or, or less debt. programs yeah. or less, or less social or less government yeah, giving so things. That's basically the difference between the conservative economic standpoint and the liberal economic standpoint. Okay, so that's one thing I was going to ask because Pierre Polyev yeah. keeps saying, I'm going to lower taxes. Yeah. Doesn't he say that? No, he, he no. Uh, he's talking about a, a balanced budget where he, like any new any new government spending has to be matched by an income. To spend it. Yeah, so that means... Or like to be able to spend yeah, it. Yeah, so that, that means that the instead of issuing more debt to cover more government services he's saying new government services they have to figure out ways to find either, the money yeah so that that would mean cutting other things in order to fund this new thing uh you know he, he's seen it's conservatives don't like raising taxes so he's not going to raise taxes but you know, so he's basically they, saying like if okay if if we want to go out for dinner one night um then or 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 not not dinner. Let's say if if you want to buy if we want to buy a new car, then we can't go out for dinner once a week. Yeah. For the next however long. Right? Essentially. So yeah. he's saying like it's we're going to find a way, but not a way that screws the government and debt or and the government really is everybody, but um and doesn't screw you guys with taxes more. Yeah. You know, and there's okay. the, there's there's two sides to the argument. Why? So if you think about debt in and of itself, essentially what it's doing is it's pulling money from the future to be spent now. Mm -hmm. Which isn't good for creative people like me because I'm like, well, now's important. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, I need that now. <laughs> so, so you're... I should not be a politician because <laughs> I'll be like, well, I guess we got to raise taxes because we need this now. But no. that means that future generations have to pay for it. Yeah. Yeah. So you're... T yeah. Basically, you're stealing money from your kids me. to pay for something, or even just future me. Yeah, like <laughs> don't you have to go that far? Yeah. Well, as far as government, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. 
uh, personal debt is I'm stealing from my future self to have yeah, something yeah, now. Yeah. Which, right, right. Uh, and this where it it this is one of the this is where debt is good in if what you're spending on now will bring you more money in the future mm. to pay that debt. So this is where if you take out debt and put it towards productive purposes. So this is why right you know mortgage debt is considered a good form of debt because once you've paid it off then the money you were would have been paying on rent stays in your pocket. Okay, but I've heard okay, we're going to go down that road for a sec. Yes. Um there is one guy James Oliver, he was like worst thing in the world to, to own a home because and then he went into the banking system and what's actually happening with you getting a loan is I'm probably going to get this wrong, yeah, but go, it was something yeah, go for it. I'm, I'm gonna, yeah. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> it was something like you are asking them to give you money that you then pay interest on. Yes. And they're taking the money and using it in stocks or I don't know, whatever they do with their money because it's yeah. not it's actually in, sitting in, in the in bank. Their, their pocket, yeah. Right. So he's like, you're actually paying. It's kind of like they're using your interest money to play poker or whatever. And he's like, it's, it's, it's a really whack system. Like, it's like, it is the, it's fucked. Yeah. So, that's in a systemic level. Let's, let's look at the incentive structure for the okay. individual though. Okay. Um, you know, if. So, I guess in his view, he's like, I don't want to give that this. Yeah. My money. Yeah. We can, okay. we can, that, that can be another tangent we can go on. Okay. But I, right now I'm trying to talk about uh, like productive uses of debt, you know. Okay. Um, so, even though. You take out a mortgage, you're taking that money from your future self. If you paying off that home now, it means that once you've paid that home off, you're saving what you would have been paying in rent. So, you're better off in right. the future. Right. Um, that's, you know, yeah. th- that's, that's one way. But the, the most, the most uh, sort of beneficial form of productive debt is say you want to start a business where so you take right. out a loan to start a business and then you build that business so it's very productive and it's bringing you enough profit that you can more than pay off your debt and then you're better off in the long run so that's productive debt if you take out debt now even though you're taking money from your future self it will create a situation where you're now create you're now bringing in enough income that you're better off in the future mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the government does not do that <laughs> <laughs> that was just the, the, the that was the, what do they call it the punchline yeah that was the, and the government does not the do government that. does not do that the the debt they issue does not create more uh income for people in the future it, it's like government programs are, absolute, uh, are absolutely needed mm-hmm. but by and large most government programs uh put out more money than they bring in but and and that is like like the NDP was that, that their big thing is just we'll just take care of you in yeah, every way and, like and so some you know K- 
Keynesian economics, which is a it's a school of economics. Keynesian, yeah. Uh, Maynard Keynes was a he was an economist who came up with the theory that in times of recession, the government should spend a ton of money, basically to so that money build up services and okay. create an ec- ac- economic activity that will stop the the downward spiral right and allow people to get back to creating businesses and flourish again which you know it it works when it works but <laughs> <laughs> is that kind of what they've done in the last couple of years here well that's like- that's the that's the modus operandi that they rest upon uh-huh. but the the system's so much more complex than that so but the government just kind of keeps spending money cuz they're trying to but the money they're spending is not going into productive outputs that causes things to the 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 virtuous cycle which causes things to get better and better uh this used to be done by banks mhm well you know where basically you're taking out a business loan when you go to a bank to take out a business loan you have to give them a business plan Right, and they look at it and they go, "Yeah, I think that I've got pretty good faith that the business that you're going to have is going to bring in enough money that you'll be able to pay us off." And so, good on you. So mm-hmm. they were kind. Of, they used to be the gatekeepers of um, giving loans to people who had a good idea that could create productive enterprises. Mm-hmm. Um, they still do that to some extent. Um, you know, Dr. Richard Wagner, he's a very interesting guy. Uh, he has talked about how part of the economic malaise we're seeing is because of there's been small and medium-sized banks are disappearing and uh. because only the big banks can fulfill the regulations that are being put on them. But it's the small and medium-sized banks who are in the community and have the finger of the pulse on what's going to be a productive business. So, it's the small and medium banks that loan to small and medium businesses and it's the small and medium businesses that essentially drive an economy. Well, then we're totally fucked. Yeah. Because uh, through COVID, like, those are gone. Yeah. Or, like, huge percentage. Like, it's... Because it's it's the small and medium businesses that eventually grow to become the big businesses. Mm -hmm. So, it's this kind of like evolving cycle. Whereas, if you've only got big, big banks, then they generally only loan to big companies. And then that's, it's the big companies who don't find those niche markets. They, you know, um, they kind of standardize their their workforce, so then you have the low-paid entry-level jobs. You're not getting that vitality and innovation in the society mm-hmm. that you you need to. You know, they are driving profits, but the profits isn't helping the large part of the population. It's it go anywhere. Yeah, it's pretty much just going to the people who already own those businesses. And oh my god! Well, that's a whole another thing to go yeah, into. Yeah. <laughs> another another complexity that's, of the system. Yeah, it's it's I yeah I didn't know it was all. I mean, I guess if you think about it for two seconds, it has to be connected to absolutely everything. But you do think like you hear like oh they should put a cap on gas prices or they should do this. It's like 
so you think that there are answers. Okay, let's. But, let, you want but, to talk about gas prices? Okay, <laughs> hold on. Just before that, I do. <laughs> right. But just before that, one thing I'm realizing is like I was like, why is this important for us to understand if we can't really do anything? Yeah. I guess the thing that we can do is is to know that like that that thing about the property tax and the social programs and stuff that just kind of that's one of the things that we've talked about that like oh, there's a yeah. light bulb i understand it yeah. and i can see how that's important for me to know because now when i see them promising all these things i'd be like well no if you promise all yeah. those then you're gonna make it so i can't buy a house yeah like you're gonna ruin all these things. So the, then, like these simple solutions are likely to cause all these chain right. side effects, or or you know, in worst case scenario, will actually make the situation worse. Right. So that te- that's what tends to happen when they put price caps on, is you tend to get it will make the situation worse. Right. And so, in in the what can we do is pay attention. Yeah. So that we know when A, if they're telling the truth, B, if it's a good or bad decision they're trying to feed us, or if they're just lying. And then that's when we as citizens vote and and that's why I guess it's still important to vote. Yeah. (laughs) If it matters. Really, it is. (laughs) You know, and then part of it too is if, if we understand what's going on, you know, part of the incentive structure of politicians is to give to pander to the people so if people mm-hmm. are saying you don't know what you're what's you don't know what you're talking about then it will encourage the politicians to educate themselves right if, if there's enough people that actually that makes a lot of sense if yeah. there's enough of us that know or remotely know what's going on and then say that like if one or two they'll be like oh you're just a little peon but yeah if it's everyone's saying like no, it's wrong. You're a dummy. Yeah, I, I've I've heard a theory. I've heard a theory that the first thing to always move is the consciousness of the people. Ooh, there'll be that's good. there'll be a consciousness change in the people. What happens next is business f- catches on and figures out how to exploit that change in consciousness. And the next thing that happens is government catches on and learns from business how to exploit that change in consciousness. <laughs> Jesus. Which then, when people realize that they're being played by both businesses and government, will instigate a consciousness change in the people. So, that's just a loop. Yeah, it's a loop. But it's always the change in the consciousness of the people that if, if you're getting screwed by both business and government, yeah. then it's the change in the consciousness that will change the business and the gov- government. Unless they suppress you. Let's talk about gas prices. Yeah, which is, <laughs> it, it, either, it either backfires because yeah. the consciousness changes or it destroys all vitality in the system and it eventually collapses itself after a lot of suffering. But <laughs> that's another thing. That's another, that's a great phrase too. Not one I like as much though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so we can get busy changing our consciousness or we can get busy complying. Suffering. Yeah, exactly. And suffering. Yeah. Hmm. That might have to be at the beginning of this episode there. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to talk about gas? Gas, yeah, yeah, yeah. What I was going to say is, like, talking about putting 
caps on gas prices. Yeah. From reading some very, very well uh, researched sources is that one, one of the main factors in driving gas prices right now is uh, limited refinery capacity. So, refineries are maxed out. Um, okay. I think I know where this is going. So. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> probably not. So, if we're talking about caps on gas prices. Yeah. You know, there's accusations against the gas station owners about profiting from it. Yeah. But it feeds back all the way through the supply chain. Whereas, if there's restriction at the refinery. So, even though the oil price may be going down, it may not resolve the issue at the refinery. So, you may have prices fluctuating oil, Mm -hmm. but the refineries are maxed out, which are causing prices to go up because they can't turn out enough output in order to keep up with the demand, which means they put the prices of the the... The prices of the refined product can go up while the price of oil goes down. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, if you have the price of the refined product up because of refinery capacity issues, then that price needs to be passed on to the gas station owners who have to put up their prices in order to match the increase in the price of the limited refined product. Mm-hmm. So, if you put a cap on the gas station prices then the gas stations are running at a loss because the the price of the refined product is still high yeah so then they just if if it doesn't then it becomes a social service yeah and <laughs> it's just but because gases. they're commercial enterprises then it's likely to put them out of business and yeah. so then you'll get gas stations closed down which will make the supply even higher. Oh, no. Can you imagine that? Remember that one day or a couple of days where the gas like rationing? <laughs> I couldn't believe that happened. Yeah, and so but- if you ration gas, then that means that people can't drive places. Uh, you know, you can't forget getting anything built. Yeah, well, that's over. You'd have to cut back deliveries, all that kind of stuff. So gas prices, higher gas price, like caps supply rationing just demolishes economic activity because is that, gas goes into almost everything yeah. in our economy. So, I, even though the price of oil may be going down, if there's a point on the node of the supply chain node, i.e. in this case, the refinery, so regardless of what the oil price is doing, if if a certain point in the node is restricted, causing higher prices down the line, putting price caps will only make the situation worse. It'll, it'll, yeah, it'll kill it all. Yeah. <laughs> it'll kill everything. Yeah. So, wasn't, wasn't oil going up though? Yeah. And, because I think I heard something about like, that is the most terrifying thing is when oil was getting too high because then the economy is going yeah. to just. Because e- the, the, the link implode. of energy and economic activity, we, and I learned this back in engineering, it's, it's. They're so tight, like the the availability. Uh, so energy prices and and GDP, I, I believe, has got this extremely high correlation of like ninety eight percent or something. 
the energy prices contribute from memory from my engineering course uh, to has like a a link of of like sixty percent of output prices. So okay, say that again. The- so the the energy input, you know, to to sort of put it into a, a general term. Energy accounts for sixty percent of all prices. Oh, okay, okay. Because every so even every sort of material, even though you're buying a material, say let's go back to wood again. Mm-hmm. If you're going and buying wood, you've got the price of wood, but included in that price of wood is the shipping of that wood by truck, the cutting down of that wood by chainsaws, the milling of that wood at a mill. And all of those have energy inputs into it. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So that's generally always sixty percent of. Cost yeah, and then or- and then you've got keeping the lights on at the warehouse. Um, you know, so when you you add all these things in, um, it's not it's not like uh, the seeds went up. It's like uh, sort or- of to put it to put it in a a. It's not like one a, a better a better. It, it's got a. I, I may have got that wrong. It's got a sixty percent influence. So, if energy goes up by one dollar, then the prices of everything else will go up by sixty cents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not like you're like. It's not like you're um, building a, a table and. Oh, no, no, no. Because it, it's with everything. Yeah, it's with. Everything. <laughs> I was going to say, and you had to pay for the wood, because. Yeah, no, it's with everything because everything is attached to energy. To oh my gosh, okay. So when we, so that's why they watch the oil yeah, so and, much and because that's, that's why so much of CPI is driven by increase in oil prices. So you watch it. You watch when the um, you know, and interest rates, which are forward looking, which long term interest rates uh, are a factor of boiled down there's a lot of things that go into them long-term interest rates are a factor of uh, long-term growth and inflation and so uh, cpi basically so if oil prices go up then they know that that increase in oil price is going to increase the prices of pretty much everything in in society so Mm -hmm. interest rates will fluctuate with oil prices essentially Okay, so okay, now going interest rates. going back to the the oil like and the refineries, I've heard things like it's it's this whole green and climate change thing that's happening in North America, so they're putting all these restrictions and closing refineries or not letting ones open or something even like we have all this capacity to be able to do all this stuff ourselves, but we don't because they're fronting that we're being clean because we don't create all this energy, but then we take it from other countries. Yeah. Yeah. So we're actually not, but it's just a, it's just a a face. It's just a thing. So would that, is that going back to your refineries? Like limitedness like the yeah, limited so if if they're if they're restricting um the operation of refineries then it, it, it's it's a contri- it, it's a contributing factor for sure so this isn't again like the housing 
thing where it could be like they're causing it and now we're screaming at them to yeah, put a cap and, on it. And this is another thing is like because people don't appreciate, you know, the environment is an extremely complex system and it's interacting with a human-made complex system, which is the economy. But people seem to think it's simple, so they come up with these simple solutions. Oh, if we just do this, then we will get this. But mm-hmm. you get these because they, these are two complex systems that are interacting with each other. You're getting these outcomes that people could not have predicted. And that's kind of part of what the argument has been the whole time is you've got the environmentalists going, we have to do something. And then the economists and people who understand finance are like, we're going to wreck the system. And then the environmentalists will go, we're better off wrecking the system. But then the the finance and the economy people was like, you don't understand what it means to, to wreck, wreck the, the system. system. <laughs> yeah. So, you kind of, it, you're stuck between a rock and a hard place and- People get polarized because they're either on one side or the other, but they don't understand how extremely nuanced and complex this whole argument is. Huh. Oh, man. Is this the point where you go, don't bring kids in this world? <laughs> or, 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 or no, well, I actually... The thing is, is cause I, like part of, the, part of what drives uh, economic prosperity is, is, is demo- demographics. So, that's another factor that's causing a decline in, in quality of life is... So, we had a big bulge of baby boomers go through and since in Western, Western naturalized populations are having less children to replace those who are there. So, that's why I have such big immigration here. Right. Because they're like, we're going to have all these old retired people and no one left to do the jobs. Right. Yeah. To support these old retired people. So, it, it, yeah, it's, again, it's another example of how interconnected and complex this system is. But then the more people you have, the more resources they consume. (laughs) So, what's the answer? And then then they want to get rid of all the resources and now they want to get rid of the farms or something. So, like, yeah, that, that's so, again, that's a, a nuanced argument. Um, yeah, it's got to, got to do with nitrates and nitrate pollution of environments, but nitrates are required for our current output of food. Yeah. So, so what do you do? Do you, benefit the environment and reduce food production, how's that going to end? It's Again, it's just another example of this complex system that people have it in their head that it's a simple solution, mm-hmm. but it creates so many, so many side effects and chain of events that you can't, you can't model it. Like, you, you can't fully grasp the impacts that it will have. That's, and they're trying to do it too fast in a sense. And, and then it, it's affecting things so quickly that you can't backpedal. Yeah, and then but then the the other side of the argument is if we don't do it fast, like we're already waited too long to act, we need to act now soon because of the environmental dev- like consequences that are happening. So it's like which side is right? Well, I'd like food. I'd like to be able to have food. I I just feel I I feel like one is powered a lot 
by a lot more emotion than the other. And I think being an emotional person, I've learned that I shouldn't make decisions emotionally because <laughs> those are always the ones that are great for about a day, you know? So I feel like those ones like need to, it needs to slow down. And I guess it just keeps coming back to everyone, like I said, needs to get educated to change because everything is education and then understanding and then populace. Well, if we look because at, if we at least it's understand always, that this is extremely complex and nuanced situation, then we could be, we could at least consider the options moving forward with greater open-mindedness and understanding. As I said, rather than just assuming a simple solution will fix everything because it may create side effects that make things worse. So, it, just, just at least understanding because then at least if both sides understand it's a nuanced argument, Mm-hmm. then they're not going to be busy attacking each other. They can rather get together and maybe put their brains together and figure out a way out or around this or the best way to approach it. Mm-hmm. But if you're just both assuming simple things and yelling at each other because you think the other's an idiot, then it's not going to go anywhere, really. That's encouraging and also, as I said, <laughs> it seems it's, uh, it's the consciousness of the people that changes first. Yeah. So, let's and I see. guess that's what we can do day to day in our lives now is to change our consciousness and to. I think it always I think comes it's, down I think to it, that. Yeah, I think it's, the, I think, it, I don't know if it's going to be enough with the time we have. I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't even know. But for us to break out of the current business government lock on things, there has to be a change in consciousness to lead it first. Mm-hmm. I know it sounds idealistic and it probably is. But so and and that's I, I don't the thing see too, how like... we have what I don't see another way that would be more beneficial for us than that way first. It seems like the only way to me because then putting caps on things or then throwing money out and like it just seems like every fix creates a problem it's a band-aid and it yeah and it, it doesn't and fix the problem long run it may may cause the the effect that they're looking for in the very short term but it either doesn't change this thing or makes them worse and i think that that's a very Short term is the thing. Like we have been accustomed or trained to live in the short term. Gratification, like immediate, like da 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 da. I'm waiting for a backpack to come in the mail and it's gonna have been about a week by the time I get it. I'm like, why can't it have been dinner today? Like <laughs> like four days. Why why not four days? It's like, oh my god, get some patience. And as I said, back like to Weimar Germany, that's what cor- corrupted the morality of the people. Yeah, so it's it's like that. It's not just a change of consciousness in the sense of of becoming educated and understanding how the system works, even like 
0.5%, (laughs) but, but of how we live, like of seeing that, like back in the day, how people would go to war or do things for their future and for like, you said like their fu- their kids' future, their grandkids' future. I don't think anyone thinks like that now. Like, no one thinks past five years. I think like I think a, a, the majority of people don't. I mean, maybe people have kids. I guess think that maybe that's just, maybe it's just me. <laughs> I don't well, that's know. Part of the environmentalist argument too. Yeah. You know, but then is that we we need to protect the environment for our kids, but then the economics and finance people say, well, we want to have a prosperous future for our kids. That's like they, they are both thinking about their yeah, children. Yeah. But they're seeing how there's this undergoing economic malaise, which going back to Dr. Lacey Hunt and the, the law of diminishing returns, mm-hmm. people are seeing that we can't afford the houses that we used to you know, things things have started to turn in a direction where the millennials are the first generation that they've modeled that they will be economically worse off than their parents. It's the first time mm. that's happened in modern history. Wow. And so, I think both people are arguing for the kids and the grandkids. One people are arguing that we need a healthy environment for our kids and grandkids and another camp is arguing for we want our kids to be economically and financially stable as well so i just, I, I I just see, feel i can see the value in both but i feel people like our culture has been created in a way that we don't live that way though like the people arguing it are maybe arguing that way but i feel like people live in the moment and there's this whole thing of like just live in the moment like it's it's and yeah it's, it's so ingrained in us like for all the people who are just like i don't want to be either part of that side you guys fight it out i'm going to distract myself with this yeah. thing right here right and now it, and i'm not going to think about it and as long as i can get pay for my gas and i can pay for my rent and stuff it's like it's so until that changes a bit then you you won't get in the fight until you start changing that it's past you in this, in this moment. Yeah. If that made any sense. Yeah. <laughs> ah, Netflix ruined everything. <laughs> <laughs> Netflix beer and weed on the couch <laughs> creates. <laughs> All right. Last words. I think, I think that were good words to those are good to sum up on yeah your consciousness words yeah all right well i'm gonna have to listen to that a few times yeah i can see why there's so many more tangents i could go on from here and so many rabbit holes i could go down but yeah it 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 would take many 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 more hours well and and yeah like i i remember before i was like oh can we just section it like this and you're like it doesn't work that way yeah (laughs) and now talking about it it's it's hard to stay on one part of it unless you understand a bunch of it and this is in this is indicative of complex systems yes and the most complex one great made by humans 
made by humans. Yeah. I believe. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thanks for sharing your knowledge, yeah. your information. <laughs> I'd love to come back. Yeah. Oh, we will. We will do this again. All right. Great. Cool. Thanks, Luke. Not a problem. Thank you. Well, there you have it. Everything's cleared up now, right? <laughs> well, thanks for joining us. I know it was a bit of a mind bend, at least it was for me, um, but we got to keep digging in, keep learning and keep taking action. Please remember to subscribe and support the podcast in any way you can. Just click on one of the links in the episode description or drop by the website at www.governthis.ca uh, where you can buy us a coffee, buy us a beer, or drop us some of your overflowing pocket change to support our time, energy, and operating costs. We appreciate any and all, so thank you, thank you, thank you. Also, you can connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash govern this and on Twitter at WeGovernThis. So if you like what you've heard and you think it's important, please share this with as many people as you can. Hopefully we can all become a little more aware and involved. So until next time, stay strong and stay curious.